welcome to Interjection. Serious information? We're a curious nation. I'm your host, Corinne. And I'm your co-host, Janet. Kwe kwe skunun kua kun, Janet? Uh. <laughs> what? You don't, you, you, uh, okay. don't, you don't understand me? I'm speaking American. You are? I am. I'm speaking in the Kenekoha. Um, and I apologize for butchering the heck out of that or the Mohawk language, um, <laughs> which feeds into our talk today about the English language and America. <gasps> I love this topic. So Bring I'm going to break it down into two parts. First, we're going to talk a little bit about the no national language thing. And then we're going to talk about some of the ideas of the uh, the problem of speaking English as the way we often hear it as your Americans speak English now, um, which is such a big deal because even our current president, Donald Trump, has said, well, I think that when you get right down to it, we're a nation that speaks English. I think that while we're in this nation, we should be speaking English, which is troublesome because Baron Trump speaks three languages and neither his first or current wife were native English speakers. <laughs> so I guarantee that English is not primarily spoken in his household unless he is home. Um, just to take an obvious dig, are we sure he is speaking English half the time? He is. He just speaks Can we diagram this? We'll talk about it later. Okay. I was okay. going to say. So I'm done. I'm done digging on the president for now. But I, I do think it's really interesting that Baron Trump has been raised with three languages, considering who his father is. And I'm assuming that means that his mother has some influence because, of course, one of those languages is her language. Right. Doesn't she speak? three languages i think she does but i know she at least speaks two so well (laughs) (laughs) i i didn't take the time to look it up because it's really not that important with what we're talking about today but i did Uh, think it was a really interesting fact um so first let's talk about the idea of no national or official language okay and To understand why we have that, you really have to start understanding the Founding Fathers a little bit better than I think the average American does. Um, So my question for you to start off with is, how many languages do you think Thomas Jefferson spoke? Um, I'm going to guess at least two. Not bad. Four-ish. Um, Thomas Jefferson, who most people know as the author of the Declaration of Independence, or maybe the first Secretary of State under Washington, or our third president spoke English, French, Italian, Latin, and he could read Greek and Spanish, and most historians agree that he probably spoke German as well, Mm -hmm. because during that time period, that was kind of the thing to do. Benjamin Franklin, America's first diplomat, primarily to France, spoke English, French, and Italian, but he also gave recommendations for people in specific fields. Um, He said that theologists should learn Greek and Latin, which makes sense if you know anything about the Bible, that Mm -hmm. doctors should learn Latin, Greek, and French, which makes sense if you know anything about the 1700s, Um, that lawyers should learn Latin and French. And merchants should learn French, German, and Spanish. Now, a lot of that French comes from the fact that during this time period, French is still the lingua franca, which is why we call it lingua franca. English is now, but during that time period, if you wanted to speak with other people, you needed to be able to speak French. Mm -hmm. John Adams spoke English, French, and Latin, and his son, Quincy Adams, spoke English and French. 
jokes were made about him in political papers when he was younger because he was messing up the gendering of his French constantly. Uh oh. <laughs> but after he'd been abroad for a little while, he got so good at the French language that a Russian diplomat complimented him on his perfect translations. Nice. President James Madison spoke English, Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. Mm-hmm. James Monroe spoke English and French, and John Hancock, who didn't speak foreign languages, was very wealthy, so he founded a professorship of Oriental languages and Hebrew in Massachusetts. Good for him. So even though he didn't speak them, he really cared about them. Nice. Now, some big names, you know, Washington, Alexander Hamilton, and Abraham Lincoln, they were all monolingual, but they have something very different from the rest of the founding fathers we've talked about. Mm-hmm. They were all self-educated. Aha. Uh-huh. So they did not have that access, whereas most of the rest of them, if they weren't still aristocracy, they were related to it. So they mm-hmm. had been raised that way. In the case mm-hmm. of Washington, Hamilton, and Lincoln, they all started off pretty normal. Neat. All in all, of America's 45 presidents, 21 of them have been at least bilingual. So basically half. Mm-hmm. And if you consider that America's first Nobel Peace Prize recipient, President Teddy Roosevelt, spoke French and German, then two of the four presidents on Mount Rushmore spoke a foreign language. Neat! That's so, cool! It is. So that's one of the big reasons that we're talking about no national or official language is because during their time, French still was the official language. <laughs> um, they didn't want to make French an official language when they all spoke English for obvious reasons. But it also went against some other issues that would pop up during the time. So, for example... Um, Even though none of them spoke the native languages, it was considered a very handy skill to have one of the native languages. Mm -hmm. And we were still working on treaties that at that point in time didn't sound like they were going to go quite the way they did. (laughs) Um, But another important thing is you have to remember that when the founding fathers were founding America, America had never been a monolingual country. Mm. This continent has never been monolingual. Before us, there were several Native American languages. And even while we were founding our country and the white people were here, you're still talking about Spanish, French, German, Dutch, and the British English were all here at that time. Uh, Mm -hmm. In fact, there were so many Germans that one of our first complaints about those immigrants ruining everything is Benjamin Franklin talking about the German immigrants. Oh, yeah. wow. So we've been at this for a long time. Hmm. So at the federal level, we do not have a national language. And there is a pretty good reason for that. Not just because the founding fathers didn't see a world where people would be as monolingual as America has become. Mm-hmm. But also because of that First Amendment we talked about a couple weeks ago. Oh, I'll be. So... I can't think of anything that would be more of a violation of the government censoring speech than forcing people to use certain words. Mm -hmm. And we don't want to do that either way. I know that a lot of people think they do, but you really don't because you lose something when we switch languages. We'll talk about that a little bit more, though, later. Excellent. Um, In the U.S., the state can choose to have an official language. 32 Mm -hmm. U.S. states have chosen English 
and maybe more languages for that state. Mm -hmm. um, for example, Alaska has between 19 and 20. Um, some of the stuff I found said 19, some of it said 20, and I really didn't feel like looking it up any more than that. So <laughs> we're going to say 19 to 20. Someplace in there, Alaska has for official languages. Courts in the U.S. have ruled that you're not guaranteed to be serviced in your preferred language. And that makes mm. sense if you are a reasonable creature at all, mm -hmm. especially fiscally, unless you want to pay a lot of tax money. Because currently in the world, there are about 6,500 languages being spoken. Wow. Yeah. So uh, think of trying to translate parking tickets for every single municipality into 6,500 languages. Mm -hmm. It's just not fiscally responsible. Mm -hmm. But states that have much bigger immigrant populations have a tendency to offer important paperwork in those major groups' languages. Um, mm -hmm. For example, California currently offers their driver's test in 32 languages. Wow. But this isn't just an immigrant problem. And I wanted to be clear about that because a lot of times people think that they don't speak English because they're not American. And mm -hmm. that's simply not true. I went to school in Amish country. I still live in Amish country, but mm -hmm. I went to school in very strict old fashioned Amish country where <laughs> we had an issue. The mm -hmm. local Amish group that was the strictest didn't speak much English at all, and they had a zoning issue on one of their farms. Mm -hmm. When this happened, the professor that traditionally did the translations for the court of law in the area mm -hmm. happened to be on sabbatical in another state studying their Amish. <laughs> <laughs> so for three months, this case kept putting off over and over and over again because there was nobody oh. who could actually explain to these men what the violation was so that they could fix it. Wow. Yeah. So the Amish don't always speak English and they have been in this country for a very long time now. Oh, yes. They're about as American as you can get. They're so American that they threw off all the extra American stuff and just stayed with their roots. <laughs> <laughs> So you run into this issue where the language problem, if you look at it as a problem, goes beyond immigrants and into well-established mm -hmm. American cultures. So I have a question then. I might have an answer. So you are considered one of the top 6% educated people in the world. I okay. think now I'm a little bit above that. Uh, it's between, I think the jump is it's between six to, three. six to three. Yeah. Yeah. So, so now that, <laughs> so as that, as an American, and especially since you're, you are ELL and you are in linguistics, um, I want to know how many languages have you studied? How many languages you are fluent in and how many languages you're proficient in? I'm fluent in conversational Spanish, but I am proficient in academic Spanish. Mm -hmm. I read and I can read academic papers, but I struggle a little bit in French, Portuguese, uh, Brazilian Portuguese, Italian, mm -hmm. German, 
Um, but a lot of that's because I also studied the old English and then middle English, um, which I think for you is early modern English. Mm -hmm. I can meander my way through all of those. Did I say French? Mm -hmm. I can read French. I cannot speak a lick of French. <laughs> <laughs> it does not come out good at all. <laughs> um, and I can curse in about 15 more languages because that's what happens when you get a bunch of international students together. <laughs> you learn how to say the F word in lots of languages. Which, by the way, if you want to learn to really curse, you need to make friends with somebody who's Finnish. Yeah. You will never, ever reach the kind of cursing that the Finns are capable of. <laughs> they put the French to shame. Oh and my. anybody that knows French knows that they have many ways to tell you to go F yourself. <laughs> the Finnish are even more colorful. <laughs> well, the reason I asked is because I think that... Um... You and I and others who are academics have a very unique experience in having studied at least formally more than one English, more than one language. For me, um, that's we, tricky because I am in New York and we have the regents requirement. So they yeah. have to complete. Basically, it's the equivalent of the first year of Spanish in college. So up to that level. Is part of our regents' requirements, um, but there's a very limited amount available to most students. So, for example, I went to a school district that's extremely rural. Um, I know that because I still live right down the road from it, <laughs> and the road behind me is dirt, so yep. you can't get much more rural than that. Mm -hmm. And when I was growing up, you took Spanish for half a year and French for half a year in seventh grade, and then you chose one. Mm -hmm. And you took that from 8th to 11th grade. Now, in my case, I skipped because I chose Spanish because I already knew enough of it to get right. out of Spanish 1 and go straight to Spanish 2. So by the time I was done with high school, I had completed the equivalence of up to second year of college right. language. Okay. Okay. So um, I do think New York is a little unique, though. Yeah. I was going to say, um, but also New York's state especially the city the city um has an awful lot of international presence right um and we i like i grew up in missouri and i believe that foreign language was a requirement for all high schools but i don't think we had to go very far of course i i went to a private catholic high school because everybody did where i lived literally and everybody. we yeah like, literally everybody. Did. Out of and... my entire group of friends from that area, only two <laughs> went to public school, and that's because they lived in the two richest neighborhood school districts. They weren't wealthy, but their school district was. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, in my case, I took four years of French. Two were through one of the local universities. Mm -hmm. But um, I was really unique in that. I think um, I do think there is a lot of bilingualism in the U.S., especially Spanish. Um, there are a lot of families that will speak one language at home and another and speak English elsewhere. Um, but we I you know, we don't teach children very young uh, foreign languages for the most part, unless it's spoken in the home. 
which is one of the reasons why we picked the school that my daughter is going to because they start teaching them a foreign language in kindergarten and it's it's awesome and i hope that she sticks with it because it's such a gift yeah and there's this thing it's called the critical period hypothesis um it's based off Mm -hmm. of several wild child incidents so it's kind of hard to study but there is definitely a point where learning languages starts to become more difficult and that tends to happen around puberty which is when we yep. start teaching our children a foreign language traditionally in our school districts. Um, so that's a bit of a problem. Oh, yes. Um, but what people have to remember, and I think this is hard to remember because we take it for granted, um, the public education system was not made to give you the same kind of education that the wealthy would receive. The public education system. I think system, that's somewhat true. The public education system was developed to give you the bare basic minimums that you needed to be a useful citizen. And that assumption is that by the time you reach that age, that is the cutoff in most states for compulsory education, that you would have met Mm -hmm. those basic minimums. Um, Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, we still have a lot of high school dropouts, so not so much. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, but... And and also the bar is, the bar keeps changing, right? It does. I mean, there's things that, um, you know, my mother didn't even have to take algebra in high school and now you've got to go through calculus in New York, or I think pre-calc, pre-calc, but you're going to have to take calculus in college anyway, so just do it. (laughs) The second problem with the idea of you're American, you should speak English is um, what it means to be American. So in the U.S., as of 2015, we had 43 million adult immigrants. That's 13.5% of our population. But if you include their children, it becomes 84.3 million, or 27% of the U.S. population is non-native English speaking. So they came with a different language. And that's exacerbated by certain issues we have with our immigration system. For example, as of this March, the U.S. government is still processing family-sponsored visas dating back to 1993. And that comes straight from them. (laughs) So we have a large number of immigrants in the country that are also helping to bring their families here, which we want. Um, immigrants bring us lots of job opportunities, especially those that we would consider legal immigrants. Um, we've already talked about the undocumented immigrants. You can go listen to that podcast if you want to. This is about the documented. Mm-hmm. So we run into this problem where basically a third of our population isn't English speaking. Um, and as I stated before, this continent has never been monolingual. This is not a monolingual continent. Um, The second part of this issue that relates back to this is that we have a lack of resources in the U.S. for English language learning. Um, We have a serious Mm -hmm. shortage of bilingual educators in the K-12 setting, and 11% Mm -hmm. of U.S. children are English language learners. So there's not enough teachers for the children that are already in our system. And mm-hmm. as somebody in that system, I can tell you that at the adult and college level, we also have a shortage. 
Yep. Unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Especially with your university, you are fully aware of this problem, but you know, there's a whole bunch of things going into a pot that make this issue um, at the college level, especially. And a big part of it is that universities and colleges in the U.S. have to take on more international students than they ever have before. And the reason that they have to do that is because federal and state funding has been cut every single presidency by a lot. We need international students because, frankly, without them, our schools will tank. So we have a shortage of English language teachers at the adult and college level. And a lot of this has to do because the way that the adult level is set up in the U.S. for non-college students is voluntary. And mm -hmm. I don't know about you, but I actually got in an argument with one of my aunties not too long ago because she said, you're in America, you should speak English. And I said, so you're volunteering at Literacy Volunteers? And she said, what? I said, you're, you're volunteering. You're going to help teach English because you speak it so well. Mm -hmm. I didn't go over real well. <laughs> so a lot of the people who um, say you should speak English because you're an American, number one, I love you. Your English is tripe. I know because I read your children's papers. You aren't fluent in oh, your language at an academic level. And that's okay because you don't need to be. So stop expecting others mm. to be. Number two. If you're not going to put your time where your mouth is running, then shut up. Mm -hmm. We have a shortage. There's not mm -hmm. enough people. There are waiting lists to get any ESL classes across the United States. There are never enough volunteers. And I know this not just because I was one of the volunteers, but because I internshiped with Literacy Volunteers of America before it became just Literacy Volunteers. And I got to see firsthand mm -hmm. how many people were waiting to get in to take lessons on how to speak English. Nobody is willing to teach them. So if you're going to mouth off and say that somebody needs to learn English, by Jove, you best be in that library. Because otherwise, oh, I'm going to shut nice. you down. Okay. And anybody, <laughs> anybody can teach English at that level. And just to be clear, those literacy volunteer programs, they're not all immigrants. Mm -hmm. Some of them are Americans that just never learned to read because the education system failed them. Mm -hmm. If you're going to say that people need to be able to read and speak English, then you should be making sure that your own people are reading and speaking English. And I know they're not because I volunteered to teach them to do it. And I like this. Issue. Can I borrow that sometime? You can borrow it anytime you want. If you're not Great, helping, I'm shut going up. to say that. <laughs> Another awesome. organization. I'm totally using that. <laughs> Other organizations mm -hmm. that help out are generally your local chapter of the American Civic Association and some high schools. Um, in my case, our mm -hmm. major city high school is actually teamed up with the American Civic Association. But those classes mm -hmm. have really small offerings and they tend to be focused on major groups that are being brought in for the government. So for example, our American Civic Association is very refugee centered. Uh-huh. And it's very small classes. Most ESL or ELL or EFL classes are capped below 20 because in order to learn a language, you can't have that many people in the room. It just doesn't work. 
I believe it. The last problem for this is the problem of me. I am part of the problem. In my case, I'm not so much. I'm here. I'm teaching. Um, I'm taking a huge pay cut by staying here and teaching. And I have no problem mm-hmm. admitting that. If I went abroad, I could easily double my salary. Yes. To put that into perspective, when I graduated from college with my master's degree, I already had my bachelor's on my associates. I was offered my first position with a major research institute that has over 35,000 students for $29,900 as a full-time lecturer. I made more at Target than I did at my first TESOL job. Did you really? I did. Wow. Yeah. I made more at, I might have made more at Barnes & Noble too. Oh, snap. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Wow. When you consider benefits and stuff. Now, I did have good benefits because the school that I was working for did have a university's medical school attached to it. However, Mm -hmm. I was in an area that we weren't being paid enough to actually be able to afford to live on my own. Luckily, (laughs) I had Dan, so I had a roommate that I could trust not to steal my stuff. Because that's always nice. Had a tendency of hiring people that had graduated from my program. In fact, the girl who replaced uh, me is my friend Brianna from my program. <laughs> she has since left as well <laughs> because, as I have already stated, the starting pay was really, really low for my field. Now, when I came to New York, mm-hmm. of course, I got a substantial um, increase. My starting pay here was thirty-seven nine. Wow. The local high school teacher who does the same thing I do makes forty two five as a new teacher. Oh. So Let's what happens have... is that many <laughs> of us go and we teach abroad because why would you stay here and teach for twenty nine nine when you can go to Abu Dhabi and make sixty eight thousand plus get a housing stipend, travel stipend, car stipend, and even clothing stipend because you have to wear certain clothes. They provide that mm. for you. We should have a whole podcast on issues with academics and pay. Yeah. Let's, let's <laughs> not. If I've learned nothing else from starting this second degree, it's that that is so complicated that it would take us a series <laughs> of podcasts to cover all of the issues, starting from the bottom and going all the way to the top. Wait, wait, I got it, Rin. We should have a wine and wine podcast where we drink we wine and wine. We need to get more people together about... then. We need a small group. <laughs> we need a small group and everybody has to get trashed. We will make Challenge that one accepted. not safe for work, though. <laughs> that one will not be as clean as the others are. So when it does come, listeners, we will warn you. Okay, so back on Ooh, track wait. again. Then- I was going to bring it around. I was going to bring it around. I was going to say you could teach us some of those Finnish swear words. Oh, I can definitely teach you some of those Finnish swear words, but I can do that without a podcast. Maddie taught me well. All right. So one last issue that you need to think about. What's American English? Oh, Lord. 
<laughs> I don't even want to touch this with a 10 Okay, pole. so don't make me do it. Don't make me do the it. The English dialects are broken into 24 regions in the United States, and that's only the states that touch it. Does not include Alaska or Hawaii, which are special little butterflies. <laughs> As I stated earlier, Alaska has 19 or 20 different languages, so you can see that that region would get really crazy really fast. So uh -huh. I have a present for you that we're going to do together, Janet. I didn't tell you. Oh, no. Okay, so. Oh, open, no. What is this? Open up your Skype window. Because I'm going to okay. send you a present. You should have a link. I have a link. All right. Open up your link. Oh. We're going I've seen to take, this before. We're going to take a little test together. Um, I'm going to have you answer because I don't want to interrupt your answers and I already know mine and where I fall on this. Can I, can I, can I ask a question first? Yes, you can. Um, how should I be answering? Should I be answering when I am with my family or should I be answering as I'm speaking to you or should I be answering as I speak in front of my students? You should be answering as in you speak when nobody else is in the room. That's a lot of swear words. It's not gonna cover it's okay. That. You still know what you default okay. to. Okay. So question one. How would you address a group of two or more people? Should I say it? Yeah. Which one did you choose? I I, I say you guys or guys. You say you guys. Everybody's you a guys. guy. I say y'all. Yeah. I actually say y'all. Oh, you do. I do. I used to say more of that. Hmm. So when you click that, it's going to show you where it's normal. I am, of course, a freak. Um, Y'all is not normal to where I live at all. It's more normal to where um, I went to school. What do you call an easy high school or college class? I called it a blow-off course. Ditto. Okay, so number three says, what do you call the area of grass between the sidewalk and the road? Uh, I have no word for this. <laughs> so, yeah, what do you to those list? Okay, so to those listening, by the way, as we're taking this quiz, which we will provide a link to, um, I can see a map of the United States where it's highlighting areas of where people say the same things I do. And it's very interesting because right now it has the area that I grew up in and the area that I'm currently in highlighted. Oh, yeah, which no. Which is kind of cool. I do not have an answer for this question. The area of grass mm -hmm. between the sidewalk and the road is just there. So, yeah, I don't have a word for it either. Nor does most of the U.S., so we're good. <laughs> What's your next one? How do you pronounce Ben? B-E-E-N. Ben. Apparently. You say Ben. Have you been? I do. <laughs> yeah. I, I say know. it with a I. Yeah. I say Ben. Uh, like Benjamin. <laughs> do you call the sweet spread that is put on a cake frosting or icing? Both. They're two different things. I put both because of the same. Yep. Icing is the thing that you put on the sugar cookies, the drizzly kind, where it, no, sorry, yeah, and then frosting is what goes on the cake. Yeah. 
Okay, how do you pronounce the words Mary, Mary, and Mary? Okay. <laughs> Apparently, so I pronounce it the same. <laughs> for me, the name Mary and I'm going to get married Mary are both the same Mary, but Mary, M-E, isn't quite the same. Mm, interesting. The R moves. Hmm. Yeah, according to the map. That's right, exactly where you live. Yep. <laughs> okay, so now what do you call the area of grass in the middle of some of the okay, streets? That one's the median for me. We called it an island. Mm-hmm. I've heard that too. What do you call a traffic jam caused by drivers slowing down to look at an accident or other diversion on the side of the road? For me, it is the action is rubbernecking, but we don't have a word for the actual jam. I don't have a word for that, yo. No? I heard Dan said no. rubbernecking, but he was from. I've I have he is from Arnold. So. Yeah, I've I mean I've used the term rubbernecking, but I would never say that. So, uh, okay. So, what do you call a traffic situation in which several roads meet in a circle? I call that a roundabout. Oh, for us, that's a circle. I live on one. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's interesting. Okay, so Watch me. For us, if I was... Wait, so you actually live in, like, four roads that meet together? I live on. Yes, okay. I do. I do. Okay. I mean, I, well, it's three roads, but yes, it's a huh. roundabout. Yep, for us, that is a traffic <laughs> yeah. circle. All right. What do you call the large wild cat native to the Americans? A mountain lion, a cougar, a puma, a panther. What? They're all real. I know. I know. I I'm just that. saying, like, aren't they I mean, considered different? No. No, it's all the same cat. Um, so I chose mountain lion because that's second. A- but for us, we call them bobcats. I was going to say I always called it a bobcat. Yeah. But, I, like, panther is a totally different animal. It is, but not in, in our dialect. <laughs> All right. I'm going to say other. Mountain screamer? That sounds terrifying. Okay. Uh, what do you call the rubber soles shoes worn in gym class for athletic activities? I know what you call them. What do I call them? You call them trainers. Oh! <gasps> I picked that up only after I hung out with British people. That's I actually, fun. I usually call them sneakers. Okay. Yeah. There's sneakers here, but they can be gym shoes if they are specifically the ones that I use for gym. Or tennis shoes. That's yeah, I would probably... never say that. Tennis shoes are actual, like, like the, the, the canvas shoes that you use only to play tennis are tennis shoes it's... for us. <laughs> According to the map, it is seriously, there's a schism right between... Like, once you get out of Pennsylvania and New York, Ohio and everything over for the most part, it's all tennis shoes. You're in this cluster of non-tennis shoe area yep. where you are. I am fully aware of that. How do you pronounce caramel? Well, I just solved that. <laughs> yeah, for me, it is caramel as well, but I feel like it's interchangeable. I've heard you say caramel. Because if you're being in, I've... yeah, it depends on what it mm-hmm. is. How do you pronounce the first syllable of lawyer? Loy, boy. Loy like boy for me. Ooh, we're in good company there. How do you pronounce the second syllable of pajamas? 
oh, this has been changing for me, Rin. I've been too far up north. Pajamas. I've been saying pajamas lately instead of pajamas. Pajamas. I have always said pajamas. Yep. This has changed for me recently. I'm going to go with my roots. Um, How do you... What do you call a large motor vehicle used to carry freight? This one was fun for me because we use all first three, but tractor trailer is definitely the most used. I've used tractor trailer, but we usually use it with semi. We either say semi or semi tractor trailer. Oh, look at that. This map is cool. How do you pronounce ant? I pronounce ant the same way I pronounce ant. Okay, how do you call a sweetened carbonated beverage? Oh, this is like this is like nails on a chalkboard to me because I am living in an enemy territory when it comes to this word. It's a soda. <laughs> I want to call it soda, but not here. It's pop. It's a... pop. Yep. But I've, I've heard both soda and soda pop here, um, but I think that's mm-hmm. just because Buffalo is so close. Yeah, I can beat a You're, it, I'm looking at the map. The map is telling me that most of New England, especially in the northern New England, mm-hmm. says soda. And yep. then there's a sea of other color of pop. And then the, where, seriously, my hometown is in this little tiny red dot where we are apparently an island of soda drinkers surrounded by pop drinkers. <laughs> That's interesting. Okay, what do you call a big road in which you drive really fast, relatively fast? What do you call it? I always call it a highway. Yeah, same for us. What do you call the night before Halloween? Devil's Night. All Hallows Eve. No, I have no I have no word for this. That's not a thing. How is that a thing? It's a thing. The day after is All Saints Day, and I know that because I always true. got that off. But the school. funny part is Devil's Night actually comes from Detroit, and I picked that up because I yeah. was obsessed with J.O. Barr when I was a teenager. And <laughs> the crow is set in Detroit. Do you pronounce cot and caught the same? No, they're two different sounds. Yeah, it's me too. That's more of a boss. This is fun saying it out loud. Yeah. Yep. All right. What do you call the insect that flies around in the summers and glows in the dark? It, for me, it can be both a firefly or a lightning bug. We mostly called it a lightning bug. A peeny wally? I have yeah, never I heard when that I read before. That, I was like, where is this? And I clicked it to find out. <laughs> Let's see. What would you call the sale of unwanted items on your porch or in your yard? Garage sale. Garage sale. What's the distinction between dinner and supper? You know, that one always makes me mad because it's not on there. It's other for me. This is interesting. I'm having to think about this because my grandparents always called lunch supper and then dinner was the evening meal. Um, but I usually use the word dinner, so I'm going to say I don't use the word supper and see what it tells me. Oh, it tells me I'm weird. Okay. 
doesn't follow the pattern. Okay, uh, what do you call something that is across both streets from you at an intersection or diagonally across from you in general? I'm curious to hear what you say. Caddy corner. Kitty corner. Really? Yeah, it's kitty corner. Caddy corner. What do you call the small road parallel to the highway? What do you call it? Usually called it the service road. That's what it is for us, too. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I'm getting the big map. Where'd you end up? It says it's loading. It's still loading. Oh! Oh! That's so freaking cool! So for me... Sorry, I can't say that. No, that's okay. You can say that. That one's allowed. (laughs) For me, it's bloody red literally where I live, and then I get a weird little orange spot right over a certain part of Missouri. That is so funny. Yeah, it pegged my hometown. It sure did. Wow, and I haven't lived there in over 10 years. <laughs> um, and you know the weirdest part? Hmm. You want to hear the weirdest part? Um, this actually pegged my husband's hometown. So I'm wondering if I picked up some of the language from him, That's and funny. in particular his suburb. That's funny. Right over his suburb. Isn't that crazy? That is. Right, they... They they gave the city, and then the small incorporated town that's in the suburb of that city, they pointed that one out, and those are the, my three cities. That's so funny. I love my hometown. Cool. That's wicked cool. So, as you've heard us go Fun. through, one of the problems with thinking of the English language as an English language is that there's so many different. So for example, one of the questions is what do you call that thing you drink water from at school? And I was like, well, it's a water fountain, right? Dummy. And it was like, bubbler, water bubbler, drinking fountain, water fountain. Um, what do you call it when it's sunny out and it starts to rain? <gasps> I just learned this word. I am in my mid to late thirties. And I just heard this word. Called, they call it a rain shower. Yeah. Like a, 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 no, a sun shower. shower a sun, sun shower. shower. Yeah. But in Tennessee, it's the double is beaten his wife again. <laughs> you know, I lived in that state for six years and I never heard that. Yeah. Phrase. And uh, what do you call it? It doesn't surprise me. Store? And I was trying to think because I know that we had them in Missouri, but I couldn't think of anything on that list. It was a brew through party barn, bootlegger, beer barn, or beverage barn. And I was like, yeah, no, technically I've never heard of such thing. I only know that they exist because I moved, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I live in mm, one of those states I don't where know. you can't do that. Um, what do you call the small gray bug that curls up into a ball? Rolly poly. Yep, but I was really stuck because I was like, well, it could also be a pill bug, doodle bug, or potato bug. We use all of them. <laughs> yeah. Potato bug. Wow. Yeah. yeah. All so, right. So when you look at the English language and you actually consider what it is, it's really hard to say that you're American, so you should speak English because we just have so many different variations of English. Um, and technically, most of the people in this country who don't speak English as their first language do speak English. They just don't speak it as well as you might. And it doesn't make sense when you're in public with your own family to speak a language that's uncomfortable to you. If you want to communicate with other people, mm-hmm. you will, of course. 
And that's why on campus, you know, our Chinese students get together and when they go back to their room, they don't speak English ever again for the night. They're done. They speak Chinese for the rest of the night. Yeah. Um, and it's the same, yep. you know, if you go abroad, you speak your second language. So Spanish for me of when I'm in public and I'm dealing with people that aren't part of my group, but in my group, we're going to speak English because it's easier. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. I have very, very strong Absolutely. feelings about this. And I very strongly believe that it's a violation of our first amendment rights to have an actual official language, even at the level I don't think it's really right um but yeah. once again as I said there is a fiscal issue there that we do have to address um but mm-hmm. my big takeaway from all of this my big point is that if you're going to say that people should speak English because they're in America now then you best be out there teaching it <laughs> I love it so all right to wrap it up I am so thanks to everybody for joining us and thanks to bensound.com for the use of our theme song, Little Idea. Today's references can be found on the Interjection blog at interjectionpodcast.blogspot.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Interjection Podcast. If you liked us, please take time to rate and review us on iTunes and tell your friends about our shows. And remember, curiosity killed the cat. I uh, probably shouldn't say that. Gonna anyway. <laughs> <laughs>